What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. I'm Inc. Executive Editor Diana Ransom, and you're listening to Inc. Uncensored. Today's episode, Motherhood and Entrepreneurship. There are a lot of frustrating, misogynistic tropes associated with being a career-focused woman, especially when you have kids. How do you balance motherhood and your career? Can you really have it all? These are now cliche questions that men rarely have to face. At the same time, it is hard to handle a demanding job and parenting, especially if you're a founder. But it's mothers who face the stigmas. That's certainly been true for our guest today. Ali Webb, founder of Drybar, New York Times bestselling author, former Inc. magazine cover girl. Ali has built a hair salon empire, raised her kids, and been through now two divorces. She talked to Inc. editor-in-chief Scott Omlianik and I at the Inc. 5000 conference in San Antonio. In this conversation, you'll hear how Ali built her company, how she handles being a single mom, and you'll hear what made Scott say this. My mother did the same thing for my son when he was young. They now have an alliance against me. I began by asking Allie what her life was like after having her first kid, just before she founded Drybar. I felt like I had kind of hit the jackpot when I had kids and I was able to be a stay-at-home mom. I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. I don't have to work anymore. Little did I know how much work raising children is. <laughs> but I really loved it and felt really lucky. And I loved being a stay-at-home mom. And after two and a half years, I had my second son. And, you know, and I spent a lot of time at the parks. And I was, I had just moved to LA. So I had this like mommy community. And I really loved it. But when my second son was born and then when my second son started like being mobile and crawling, you know, then I was at the park and the kids were going separate directions, one into like the street and one into the lake. It was like, this is a lot, you know? <laughs> and I really was like missing adult interaction because I was, you know, as a stay-at-home mom and I was like in mommy world all the time. And I, and I, I just had that itch to do something for myself, which is when I kind of had the idea first straight at home, which would eventually turn into dry bar, although I didn't know it. So is that a desperation idea? Like, I tend to think that my mom is insane because she stayed at home with three boys who drove her crazy, right? But so was that, like, you needed that to feel like a whole person? A hundred percent. I used to say to, like, my husband Cam at the time and my best friend, I was like, I just feel like I'm not using my brain in its fullest capacity. You know, when Cam would come home from work, I'd be like, like talking his ear (laughs) off because I was like so desperate to talk. Not that I wouldn't talk. I had friends and stuff, but when you're, you know, anybody who's listening to this, who's a mom, you know, it's like, yeah, you, you talk to your friends, but when you're with children, you're with little children, they're, you know, they're extremely demanding on your time and your energy. So you're kind of in this, you know, mom flow all day. And reality checking all the time, right? Constantly. With your friends. It's not about the things you want to talk about anymore. It's about like- The kids. Yeah. Yeah, everything is about the kids. And that's just being a mom or being a parent is the most selfless thing you ever do, which doesn't change much when they get older. I was like longing for something for myself, felt like just antsy to do something for me. And, you know, it wasn't about really making money. It was, you know, it was much more about like getting out of the house and and doing something for myself, like I said. And so the mobile business seemed like a natural progression for me because I had, you know, at that point in my life, I'd been doing hair for over 10 years. And I always loved, I cut hair in the salon, but I loved getting through the haircut to the blowout 
part of it because that's the when big like reveal. Th- that was like when a woman like came alive and you saw her face light up because it was like the framing. And I just loved that moment so much. And so when I, you know, decided like I wanted to go out and do something, I was like, what do I do with this new mom pace? And I didn't want to go back into a traditional salon. And I was like, I have this massive community of moms in LA. And so I posted on like a Yahoo group, I'm dating myself. This was like 2008. (laughs) I don't even know people know what that is anymore, but it was this massive group of 5,000 moms in LA. And I posted on it and said, Hey, I'm a stay at home mom, longtime hairstylist. I'm thinking of, you know, starting a little mobile blowout business where I'll come to your house and blow out your hair while your baby's napping. That was my pitch. And sure enough, within minutes of posting that, I got inundated truly with women who were like, yeah, when can you come over? And I also said, I'm thinking of charging 35 or $40. And my best friend Paige and I were like, yeah, 220 is super easy. And you know, if, if you live in LA or really anywhere, it's like someone coming to your house to do your hair is a far cry from $40, like at least 150. But I wasn't thinking about it in, that, in those terms. I was just like, I wanna actually go and do this. And so I think $40 is great. And most women gave me exactly 40. Some would give me like 50, like for a tip, but it was cash and it was going to me. And, and I was, it was great. I mean, I don't think I actually ever made money in that time because driving around LA and gas and all that stuff, you know, it wasn't a very lucrative business, but it was, I loved it. It was perfect at the time. And I remember like telling everybody in my life, like, I'm so happy. I have this mobile business. I'm super busy. And and that's really when I was so busy that I had to start saying no more than I was saying yes. Cause I only really had like three or four hours a day to go and do this before I had to go pick up my kids. So I was like, what am I going to do here? Like there's something here. I didn't want to expand it mobily because I didn't want, I couldn't control the experience if I started sending stylists into people people's homes and then they would take, you know, so I was like, maybe I should get them to come to me instead of me going to them. And that was really, all of that was really like how Drybar came to be because it was like, let's open a place that looks and feels really cool and chic and high end, but the price point's really low, you know, and this affordable luxury kind of concept was born. And that's really how the whole thing happened. So flash forward to 2010, you've got the Brentwood uh, location going yes, and you're working seven days a week. What's happening with your children? I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean, I was I was really lucky that my mom, who's since passed away, she was with my kids like 24-7. And my parents had gotten divorced later in life. And we kind of moved my mom wherever we moved. Like she was always like in an apartment down the street and really loved my boys. And they really loved her. She was like a second mom to them, which was like, I really don't know what life would have looked like. And listen, like nothing against nannies. And I had lots of nannies too, but having my mom with my kids was really special and and really felt like it gave me permission to go lead this crazy life that had, you know, happened what felt like overnight, you know, as we were opening dry bars like crazy in my life, I was literally working seven days a week for six months because I was too afraid to leave the damn thing alone. You know, I was so nervous about it. And, you know, it was like intoxicating and amazing. And, and so my boys were little, they were three and five when I started dry bar and and again, because my mom was there, she was she was with them all the time. They would come into Dry Bar. I have so many pictures of them in the early days of Dry Bar. Like they grew up in this world they of get Dry Bar mm-hmm. too. And they have great hair. They had long, <laughs> they were like California kids with long hair. And my older son Grant has very very curly hair. And I used to blow out his hair all the time. Like they, I mean, now and later in life, like they have a real deep appreciation for it. I think having a mother, it's terrific. But there's the flip side of it. Like I know that my mother and my son, my mother did the same thing for my son uh, when he was young. They now have an alliance against me. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to be careful, right? It's a gift and it's also maybe a curse. My mom 
God bless her, she was like not the healthiest. And I was like, you know, when I had kids and I was living in LA and just moved to LA and I was like, everything was organic. I grew up eating terribly and my parents like was no vegetables. And like when my kids were born, I was like, you know, you feel this enormous pressure, like to keep them alive and to keep them healthy. <laughs> but they won't eat the vegetables. It was, yeah, it was, it was rough. But I would work really hard to have them eat really healthy. And my mom would come over and was like giving them all sorts of crap. And I was like, mom. And I would tell her and she would be like, okay. And then it's, yeah, there was an alliance <laughs> like, for I'm sure. like, I'm the grandma. Yeah, exactly, exactly what she said. I can do what I want, you know? Well, I always think about those people, you know, when I talk to founders who have kids and they always say like, well, you know, our nanny really helped us out in a clutch position, but- you know, when you're starting out a business, you can't really afford the nanny. I remember right. talking to one founder once who was like, our nanny makes more than we do. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Like, what does somebody do in those early days if they don't have a loved one who's willing to step up? I mean, I think you get scrappy. You know, it's like there's daycares, there's after school programs there, you know, it's like high school girls who are willing to, you know, it's like you can, you can find it if you really look for it. And it's true. I mean, for so many years in the dry bar, especially in the beginning, I'd say the first two or three, I mean, really until we raised in private equity, I mean, my salary was like under 30 grand a year. And I remember when we started hiring people and their salaries were quite a bit more than that. And I was like, wait a second. And I, at the time I didn't understand it, but obviously in retrospect, it was like, oh, those were really important hires and like would get us to the next level. That was incredibly important. And so it's the same kind of theory with the nanny. It's like, you're not actually making much money yet, but that's okay. It's like a business not being profitable yet. It's not meant to be profitable right away. It's like, that's part of the build. You know what I think it is, Diana, is it's, it's, it's the same problem that applies to entrepreneurship everywhere. It's just, in this case, it's the children part of entrepreneurship. And and then they're a problem to be solved, right? Mm -hmm. Or caring for them is a problem to be solved. And if you want what you want at the end, you figure out a way to get it yeah. done. Okay, but you still have mom guilt. Yes. There's guilt on both sides, though. It's not just mom guilt. Oh, yeah, dad guilt, for sure. Parent no, no, no. Guilt. I mean guilt from the business and guilt from the, the family. Oh, oh, I see. Because I felt like if I wasn't at work or if I wasn't dealing with dry bar stuff, then, you know, I was somehow letting somebody or something down on that side. Because dry bar essentially was like a 24-7 business. We were open seven days a week. So it wasn't like most salons where it was like closed on Sunday and Monday. So it was like it never stopped. It never shut off. And there was... Of course, as it grew, it got, you know, harder and harder. I mean, it, it felt like my life felt like whack-a-mole, like the game. Mm -hmm. And someone actually bought us that and it was in our office, which was <laughs> such a great metaphor because it really was like between, I mean, we had so much staff, we had so many employees and we had so many clients. There was just so much of everything that it was like very hard to step away from my phone because if I did, when I came back to it, it was like so many things had, had come up. So I felt guilt on both sides, but I feel like, like the question bothers me, no offense. It's just like, we shouldn't feel that way. You know, it's like, it is, we, you know, it's like the second chapter in my book is called Balance is Bullshit because it's like, I don't think that should be the goal of like trying to achieve balance. It's like on some days I would show up at my kid's game at the right time and be there for them. And then on other days I had to miss it and had to have a tough conversation with my kids. And that's just like, that's okay. You know, the, the fact that we are striving as a society for this unrealistic goal, and it's not realistic for our kids. It's like, 
gosh, don't get me started on like everybody getting a trophy. You know, it's like, it's just not like, that's not real life. You know, it's like the person who works really fucking hard gets the trophy because they've been doing- Yeah, it's unrealistic. It's unrealistic, you know, and I, and I would have a lot of conversations. I mean, listen, I objectively think I have really amazing kids. I mean, really amazing, very like well-mannered gentlemen of boys. They're amazing. And I don't know if it's because of me or it's just because of who they are, but I did have a lot of conversations early with my kids trying to explain to them. And I don't know how much of it sunk in, but I was like, listen, you know how you love playing baseball or you love doing whatever the thing was. You love riding your bike. You love doing these things. I love running this business. And I know that you don't understand that. And it feels like work to you, but it's not work to me. Like I really love it. And it really makes me happy and brings me joy. So sometimes I need to go and do that, which means I'm going to miss some of your stuff. And I would ask my kids, like if they had a thing at school or whatever, I'd be like, please tell me like, what's important to you that I'm there and what is okay for me to miss? And and they would tell me like, oh, this thing, it's stupid, mom, it doesn't matter. And then they'd be like, oh, but I really want you to come to this. That's amazing. Awesome. There are two things that occur to me. One, going back to the balance point is that I what, what I describe as balance is being on a teeter-totter that's yeah. like way in space and you're running from one end to the other and the balance is knowing how long you can stand on one end yes. uh, and still be able to run back to the other. Well, it's like the ebb and right? flow. Because you're yeah. never right perfectly level, right? Or you need the support structure on the other side potentially. Or someone counterbalancing you, right? Yeah. Um, but that's not even always realistic. Even when you have that person, it's not always real- realistic, right? But, but the other is I think it's really, really valuable. And I see this in my own son who... I talk about what I'm doing, like he knows I'm doing a podcast today, right? It opens up a whole other world of opportunity for them to see what you're doing at work, yeah. to know what the demands are. It's as educational as anything else yeah. they're doing, I think. Yeah, I mean, you know, even like with my kids, I mean, I, I have such I have such open dialogue with my children and I always have, even like my kids are, well, my one son just went to college, which is <laughs> mind blowing. I mean, he, he just went a few months ago. My other son's in 11th grade. And, you know, I mean, they like their mom, not great students, but I've said to them, like, it's more important to me that you under, you build relationships with your teachers and like you figure out how to make, yeah. how to make it work. And a lot of it is relationship. Like most kids don't think that way. It's like, you do the work, you get out of the class. I'm like, go talk to your teacher. Like ask her about her day. And my kids do that. And my kids are getting much better grades than they should be. <laughs> and so did I. Entrepreneurial take on the education. Yeah, right. I mean, it's uh, until it changes, which it should. I mean, the things that we're teaching, in my humble opinion, the things that we're teaching our children are the very wrong things. But I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I spent the whole weekend, by the way, with my son crafting a globe to which we then pinned 200 flags. And it literally took about 16 or 20 hours. Oh. And, I, and I have to feel like there was a better way for both of us to have spent the weekend that would have been just as educational yeah. Yeah. and a lot less stressful. But I mean, can you imagine if like we lived in a world where like children were taught meditation and they were taught like, instead of taking like an algebra class, you, you took an empathy class. Like, I know that sounds woo woo. I mean, a lot of people are probably rolling their eyes at me right now, but I mean, if you don't want to be an engineer, does algebra really matter? Like, the things that I didn't learn at school, but relationship building, why are we not teaching that? Like, why are we not, you know, it's like, it's just crazy to me. I have such like lofty dreams of like building a school and changing everything. That's Ali Web 2.0. <laughs> I don't think I have the energy to do it, but man, it's someone should. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. 
Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. So your sons are older, and in your book, you describe uh, a very sort of difficult situation with one of your sons, Grant. Can you talk about that? You know, I think that we're like the conduit for our children. There's a really great poem somewhere that talks about that. Like our children come through us. We don't really get any say or control in like who they are, or what they end up doing with their lives. And I preface this phase by saying that because, you know, what Grant experienced was like his own journey and his own path. And when my first husband and I got divorced or separated, you know, it was already, it was like the perfect storm for this to happen to him. And we had, I had moved them a lot. I don't regret it, but I, it was hard on them. And they, you know, I moved them around a lot because I had this like insatiable need for something new, which is like, you know, part of my own work, you know, so they didn't really establish a great group of friends. Like we had moved to Orange County for a little while because that's where my brother was living and that's where our corporate office came. But my kids were born at like Cedar sinai we, they, were, they were LA kids and we had a quick stint in Orange County and we moved back to LA. With, and two years after we moved back, Cam and I separated and Grant had just started a new school. He was you know, 13. He had really bad acne, like really bad. And, you know, if you've ever experienced that as a kid or your kid has experienced, it's really rough, like for them from an identity standpoint. And, you know, it was like that. And now, you know, their dad and I were separating and he was just lost in a lot of ways. And and also watching his parents unravel. You know, I had like fallen into a pretty deep depression. Their dad was doing what their dad was doing. It's not my story to tell. And it was just rough. And on all of us. And I didn't see, I really didn't pay attention to the writing on the wall with Grant, that Grant was starting to smoke pot like before school, during school. Like he was like, what I would later learn, he was self-medicating because he was feeling so much unhappiness and angst and inside that that's what he was doing. And I didn't understand it at the time. And I made the mistake, which I've now learned of like, you know, reprimanding him and telling him that he shouldn't be smoking pot. And it's like really bad for your brain development and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, basically like, yes, yeah, you, mom. I don't know, fuck you, mom. Like, I don't, this is lost on me. And, and I couldn't, I didn't know how to reach him. I didn't know how to talk to him. And we had always been so close. So I was like, what's happening? Like just such an uncomfortable feeling of like not being able to reach your kid. And, but watching this, like, it's like slowly watching a car accident. You're like, I know that something really bad is coming but I don't know what to do about it, you know? And and we were putting him in therapy and he was outsmarting the therapist, you know, which kids, kids are very smart and he was very smart and he knew what he was doing. You know, it just got to a point in his evolution where things got really bad. He got caught like vaping in the bathroom of school. So he got kicked out of this big trip to London that the school was taking that he was so looking forward to. And, you know, it was like the disappointment after disappointment and and it got really bad and he was like suicidal and we were like, oh my God, like we have to do something. And so we frantically called all these different places in LA and, and put him in a treatment center, which was really intense and really rough. And he was so mad at us about it. And, you know, like the day we dropped him off at this place called Polaris in LA, you know, he locked himself in the bathroom, like wouldn't talk to us. I mean, it was as excruciating as you can imagine. Like I can't even fathom I'll ever go through a pain like that again, you know, short of actually losing my son. I can't imagine like anything worse than what we experienced. Like, you know, I'm like uncontrollably crying. They're like, you got to go. You have to leave. Like you have, to, we let us do what we do, you know? And, oh, it was awful, you know? And Grant was 
angry at everybody, angry at me, angry, angry at his dad, angry at the world. Yeah. And it was just so hard to understand. And, and it would take over, you know, almost two years to like really unravel all the things that he had experienced that contributed to what he was feeling and what he was going through. And, and it was a really dark, dark time for us. But like I said earlier today, it's like it forced us all to come together. And, and his dad and I had to come together for therapy once a week. And then we had family therapy and we had phone therapy. It was like every other day it was some sort of therapy with Grant. And it got worse before it got better. You know, he would like look me dead in the eyes and say, I hate you. And as bad as you can imagine. <laughs> but then it eventually started to turn and he learned how to like cope with what he was before, feeling. Before you move on, how did dealing with what you had to deal with at that time, you know, you were dealing, battling depression yourself and then yeah. your issues with your son. How did that affect the business? I feel so blessed and lucky that at that time, there was so much infrastructure in Drybar. If this had happened in year like two or three, like, I don't know what would have happened to the business. But the fact that it happened in year like seven-ish, it was like, oh, you know, we had this amazing CEO. We had this amazing executive team. We had, you know, we the company was like running. My presence not being there was definitely felt, but not to like the point where like the business was going to implode without me. You know, I was really lucky that I was able to say to, to the executive team, like, I've got to go deal with this. Like I, I'm not mentally stable to be here. And, and you know, it was a little bit of a dance. Like I was still doing stuff for Drybar, but you know, my heart was not there because I was, you know, obviously the only thing that mattered was getting my son healthy. But he was also like not living at home, you know. And I, and I had this other son, and so it was like it was a, it was a balancing act of like you know a dance of trying to like make it all work. And to your point, like dealing with my own stuff. And I went to onsite at that point. I don't know if you guys know onsite, but for those who don't know, it's a therapeutic center where, you know, you go for seven days and they take your phone and you're off the grid and you're in yeah, deep therapy. Stuff like that. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. It's an amazing place. I'm actually on the board of it now because I, I, it was so incredibly helpful to me and they do such great work in, you know, they have a life after loss program, or if you've lost a child, people who've survived mass shootings, like they've, they provide a lot of support for a lot of people. And it was incredibly impactful for me. In addition to like therapy three times a week and like, you know, just like trying to like peel myself out of this depression that I was in because of all the things that were happening in my life. And it was just, you know, time and all of these modalities to like get my feet back on the ground. You Did know? things start to turn around when Grant started to feel better? Yeah. It all kind of happened at the same time. You know, it was like I was starting to figure out my new life because I had gone from being married for 16 years to being a single mom. And just like the fallout of that was really hard. And my role in Drybar had started to change. And Cam and I shared an office. So I didn't go to that office anymore. And I was like, I was having identity issues. Or like, who am I if I'm not the founder of Drybar? And I mean, I still was the founder of Drybar, but I'm not in that active role anymore. So there was a lot of change really fast. But again, the most important thing was Grant and like the health of Grant. And he he sl slowly started to come out of it. And I think it was like but the sun started to like come out for all of us when he started to get better and we all started to evolve. And those group therapy sessions with his dad were so great for me and Cam because it like really helped us get to the next level of what would become a beautiful friendship, which right. we have now. And you're still working together with Cam. Yeah. I mean, all these businesses, Squeeze, the Feel Good Company, which is like what Squeeze. The umbrella. And, yeah, entity. exactly. Lives under and Cam does all the branding. And, you know, I mentioned we're, we're starting a new project that we're doing. Are you going to get your sons involved in the business? 
Not at this point. I yeah. mean, they're they're doing their own thing. Have they ever expressed interest? Not really. I mean, Grant is actually studying theology in college, and Grant's really discovered God, and he's very, you know, it's funny, I don't, I don't want to use the word religious, but he's very, he's just very fascinated by Jesus and God, and, and it's been a real fun, like, riding on his coattails, experiencing that with him. And Kit's, you know, in 11th grade, so I don't know what he wants to do yet. I, I sense a lot of entrepreneurialism. Is that a word? In in them <laughs> that it'll be, I mean, it's so fun to like watch your children. How old is your son? Uh, he's 12. He's 12. Yeah. So you have, you have some time, but it's fun to watch your kids start to grow into who they will become. I think that I could see Grant becoming like a pastor, really. I mean, he will do something in the realm of helping people because he's he's an incredibly like inspiring, like wants to give back, wants to help other people. Yeah. He's a great kid. What about your own depression? And how controlled is that now? Or? It was so like, I, I didn't know what to do with it because I'd never experienced that in my life. You know, I came out of it and I was in a much better place, you know, and then going through my second divorce not that long ago, fell back into it. And, you know, and I think, what's it called? Like situational depression. I think that's probably the most accurate term for me. And, you know, really was like right after my divorce was very in that place again. And like, I was like, I remember saying to Miles, who runs Onsite, he's he's the CEO of Onsite. And I was like, Miles, I can't believe I'm back here again. And he's like, you're not back here again. You're you're in a different place now and you're gonna, you're gonna be okay. And I think it was, uh, I'm so driven when I want something. And I was like, I do not want to be depressed. and But I also know I need to grieve this. And so, you know, where's like the equilibrium in that, you know, of like, I need to grieve this. And if physically, you know, like, I don't know, I'm sure you've heard of the book, The Body Keeps Score. I mean, oh, yeah. the stuff that we keep in our bodies is like, it's real, you know, and I work with an amazing somatic therapist. I work with a lot of people, coaches and therapists, and I do all- You are like a machine. Highly, I do all the things. Well, I was also like, I can't stay in this state. I don't like being here. I've got to get out, but I physically couldn't. I was like, I, you know, felt almost like I was in depression jail. I don't really want to be here anymore. Like, how do I get myself out of this? I did ketamine therapy. Like I did all these different modalities and, you know, and I don't know that one thing was like the magic bullet, although I would love a magic bullet. I, I realized like, you know, very Brene Brown, like the only way through is through. And, and that's really what I did all these different things. I mean, I think, right. We're in this place right now in our culture where there are a lot of assistance is available, whether it's ketamine therapy, whether it's going to be MDMA in the yeah. next year or so, whether it's psilocybin. And I yeah. think e even the commercialization of that, right, turning them into a pill form uh, that a lot of companies are working on, I think it misses the point of the work still needs to be done. Yes. Right. You I'm can, glad you said these that. These things are facilitators, but you still need to do yeah. the work. And I mean, the, ket the ketamine therapy was amazing and I did it really early on, but I worked with like a doctor who was like a very like woo-woo doctor, like her office was very, like she would read from this book before we, I mean, it was like, I got really lucky. It was a beautiful setup and there's no shortcut to it. And you really do have to do the work. And I, I've learned so much about myself and like, I'd heard people talk about like, you know, your childhood and how that affects who you are. And I was like, yeah, you know, that doesn't apply to me. I had a great childhood. Turns out I had some things that I didn't even realize were there and that I've now explored. And it's like, my mind has been blown several times over of things that I've learned after going and digging in. Diana will agree with this, right? Like rough childhood here. And I would have denied every aspect of how it treated my behavior, but it made me not a good person in the workplace. It made me not a good boss to not have recognized that. Yeah, the awareness. And, and, and dealt with them. I'm yeah. slowly getting there. Yeah, yeah. It's not an overnight I thing. I don't think I'd agree with that. 
Well, you're just being kind or think a <laughs> raise is coming. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, she's, I'm she's joking, angling. I'm joking. But it's true. I mean, there's awareness is like half the battle, like understanding like this somatic therapist I worked with. And there's so many great people I've worked with, but he pointed out something to me about, you know, my relationship to men. Like I literally almost fell off my chair and I was like, oh my God that's it. You know, it was like, I was like, how did I never see this before? You know? And it was like all of these things that we learn about ourselves, once we have awareness around them can shift, but you can't shift them until you know them, you know, which, which to your point is like all these modalities and all these things that we can do are great. If they're going to assist you, get you to the point where you can like see something deeper that you hadn't seen. This level of awareness that you have now, how does it affect you at work or with your children? Well, I think I'm I'm a much, much softer version of myself. I too was not the easiest person to work for in the early days. And I had to really, I think after my first divorce, I softened, but I now realize I hadn't really scratched the surface on some things. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, my kids will tell you, which is heartbreaking, you know, even not that long ago, my kids told me that they didn't know what version of me they were going to get, mm. you know, if like how I was going to react to something and what a like emotionally volatile environment that is like, ugh, it's like heartbreaking to hear that. And so I've worked really hard to control my emotions when I feel, you know, instead of this like powerful, like I'm the parent and I know best. And I've had to learn this lesson over and over again, that like, I have to like stop and listen and hear them and not react and not be so reactive and punitive. And, and I was just talking to my son who's 16. I'm like, I've been better. Right. And he's like, yeah, you don't, you definitely don't like get as upset as you used to get. Like I catch myself more, not always, but I catch myself more now when I'm like, can feel that, you know, that like visceral, like you're, there's fire in your belly and you just want to like lash out. I can feel it coming and I'm like, I know now I have enough awareness to know like you got to keep it in check or walk out of the room. Say, give me a minute, you know? There's the, this moment, right? It, I, I learned this from Chip Conley. Um, I love Chip Conley. I was just, I was supposed to go to Modern Elder two weeks ago, but my password was expired. Um, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, at Inc, we take a group of founders every year to Modern Elder Academy and it's the most remarkable experience. But one of the things you learn there comes from Viktor Frankl, the Holocaust course, survivor, who says that, that book. you know, between stimulus and response, there's a space. And in that space, you can decide how you want to react, right? Yeah, what and a I think remarkable having, story. Having that and you having that is like, that's Love a real that. gift to be able to, yeah. to use. Yeah, I'm so, I'm like, warms my heart that you brought up Chip. Yeah. He's been, he's been such a good friend to me. I'm, I'm really, I'm so upset. Can I, can I go on the next oh, one? Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> If your business is like your third child or your child, do you think that you might be offering the same kind of, I don't know, experience that you would with your children, like overly emotive, for instance? Like, are you that way at work too? Yes. And then if you are, like, do you see it in your, yourself at work too? And It's all really personal to me, you know, and I really feel like the connection with people I work with is really important. And I, right or wrong, better or worse, like I think that that is like what really ingratiates people into your company too. You know, I mean, I am still very close with like the team I worked with at Drybar, like some of my best friends. So, you know, for me, it's like, goes back to that if you love what you do, you know, it doesn't feel like work. And it's the same thing for the people. Like if you love the people you work with, and we arguably spend more time with the people we work with than we do with our families. So creating and curating a really lovely group of people around you, like for sure, I think of them as very similar. And what would be your advice to other parents who are looking to start up companies? 
I think it's similar to like surround yourself with people who really love your kids. You know, it's like the more people around you who love your kids, the better, whether it's a, a grandma or an aunt or a nanny or the high school kid that, you know, it's like anybody who like loves on your kids, like that's great. I thought the question you were going to ask, which I was ready to answer, which <laughs> I feel like addressing because it was the biggest lesson I learned with my kids is like getting curious. I can tell you from firsthand experience, telling your kids what is right and wrong, although we have to do that to some degree, asking your kids, what's going on? Why do you feel that way? How can I help you? Like, I don't ever give at this point in my life and I have to bite my tongue and I don't always remember, but I do, I work my hardest to like not tell my kids what I think unless they ask. You know, when Grant calls me from college and tells me the situation, like I just keep asking him questions about it and asking him questions and get him talking and get him talking because really that's what he needs. He needs to get it off his chest, get, talk about whatever's going on. And then sometimes I'll be like, oh, do you want my, do you want my thoughts on this or do you want my opinion on it? Versus what we do naturally as parents is like, well, let me tell you, if you do this and blah, blah, because we think we know so much, you know, sometimes we do and sometimes we don't, but like, if you can, and it really, in any, you know, if you can put your kids in a position of like wanting to know what you think versus like, let me tell you how it is, like mm -hmm. it does not work. And I'm living proof that that does not work. So the more curious you are as a parent, I think the better you'll be as a parent. That's great advice. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Allie. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Allie. That's all for today's episode of Ink Uncensored. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. Also, if you liked this episode or have suggestions of what topics you'd like to hear about, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or reach out to us on Ink's social channels on LinkedIn, Instagram, and the app formerly known as Twitter. Ink Uncensored is produced by Julia Shu, Blake Odom, and Avery Miles. Mix and sound design by Nicholas Torres. Our executive producer is Josh Christensen. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.